Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. I'd like to introduce this passage of scripture with a story. Once upon a time, there was a young man by the name of Askeladden who lived in a country called Gruesomeland. And uh, the king of Gruesomeland was a evil and cruel tyrant by the name of Grimm. And it wasn't a pleasant place to live because Grimm liked to steal and kill and destroy. And eventually Grimm decided that he didn't have enough people to steal from and kill and destroy in Gruesomeland, and so he wanted to conquer the neighboring king kingdom of Pleasant Ania. And so he conscripted Askeladden and all of the other young men of Gruesome Land into the army and sent them to invade the neighboring country. And as Askeladden was then in the neighboring country, and um, he came to the conclusion that he, he really didn't want to serve King Grimm any longer, that he liked the people of the neighboring country much better than he liked King Grimm, and he wanted to switch sides. And so the first opportunity he had, Askeladden surrendered. And as he uh, then came into captivity to the forces of the neighboring country, he said, I want to change sides. I want to be part of your army I want to help defend your country against the attacks of King Grimm. And the very first thing they did when they accepted his offer was they had him take off the uniform of Gruesome Land and they had him put on the uniform of Pleasantania. He had to change what he wore to reflect his change of allegiance. Now we are continuing a series this morning in the book of Colossians, and in our last message of the series, uh, Pastor Jeremy talked about putting off the old man. And the old man, by the way, the word putting off is a word that's used in Greek to talk about taking off your clothes and putting on is a word in Greek that's used about putting on clothes. And so we're talking about taking off a suit of clothes, we're talking about putting on a suit of clothes. And as we were talking about then putting on the suit of clothes associated with the old man, it was the uniform of those who served the devil. Uh, in Colossians chapter three, verses eight and nine, it's described in this way. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And so that's the old uniform that we're called to put off now that we no longer serve the enemy and that we now serve God. And in the passage of Scripture that we're looking at this morning, it talks about the new uniform, the new clothing that we are to put on now that we serve the Lord. And that passage is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. And I'd like to invite you to open to that passage in your Bibles. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you this morning, we have some extras on the tables in the back. And uh, if you don't happen to have a Bible at home, we think everyone should have one. Shouldn't just have it, but you should read it. And uh, we'd like you to take that home and read it and uh, learn the truths of God's word. But anyway, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, I'd like to invite you to stand as I read God's word in your hearing. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for new life in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we today open your word and see what you've said about how this new life can flow out and manifest itself within us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts and illuminate our minds and allow us to grasp what you're saying to us. And that as a result of this, we would be more like your son, Jesus Christ. I pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look in this passage and we begin in the first part of verse 12, we can see what it calls followers of Jesus Christ. The first part of verse 12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved... And the words elect, holy, and beloved may sound familiar to those of you who are readers of the scripture because they have been previously used of the nation of Israel. Now, we know from Romans 9, 10, and 11 that by using these terms in relation to us, uh, God is not saying that we replace the nation of Israel because 
Romans 9, 10, and 11, talk about the plan that God still has for that nation. But it does tell us that God allows us to share in the same blessings that he's poured out upon his chosen people. Like Israel, followers of Jesus Christ have become God's chosen people, holy and beloved. But not only does Scripture use these words to talk about the nation of Israel, Scripture uses these words to talk about Jesus himself. And uh, you can stay in Colossians if you want, but I'm going to turn to a few other passages. Second uh, Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. First Peter 2, 4. It's like, that's got nothing to do with it. First Peter 2, 4, talking about Jesus says, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. And the word here translated chosen in First Peter is the same word, That's translated elect in the passage we're looking at in Colossians. And then in Luke 135. And once again, you can stay in Colossians, but in Luke 135. An angel is coming to Mary to announce that Jesus is going to be born. And among other things, it says, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And so Peter calls Jesus elect and this angel calls Jesus holy. And of course we know that uh, in Matthew 3.17, as Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist, that uh, God the Father speaks out of heaven. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So not only is the nation of Israel chosen and holy and beloved, but Jesus Christ himself is chosen and holy and beloved. And so as we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we, as the church, become God's people, chosen, holy, and beloved, we share in the blessings of the nation of Israel and we share in the blessings of God's own son, Jesus Christ, that in Christ, We have become chosen and holy and beloved. And we can rejoice in those blessings that when we were sinners, God chose us to redeem us. And when we were wicked, God washed us 
in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be holy, made suitable to serve the holy God. And that when we were enemies, God made us his beloved children, that we share in the inheritance of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. And so that means being chosen that in eternity past, in Jesus Christ, God looked and he said, I want her. And he looked and he said, I want him. And I want her. And I want him. And he selected us so that we could be redeemed and be a part of his eternal kingdom. And when we are holy, then we are set apart for God's service, that we are no longer unsuitable vessels for God's service, that we are no longer common and unclean, but that God has purified us and made us appropriate to serve him. He has a plan for us and a good plan for us, and he's made us suitable to fulfill the plan that he has for each one of us who belong to him. And then we're beloved. You know, we're not just Kleenex that God uses and throws away, but he cares for us. He wants what is best for us, that he is working on our behalf according to his wisdom and according to his power and according to his goodness to bring about what is best for us. And so God is intervening on our behalf in ways that are far above our ability to imagine. And so as God has us as called and holy and beloved people belonging to him through faith in Jesus Christ, then he calls each of us who now belong to Jesus Christ to put on the uniform of God's people. And so to review again, verses 12 through 15, therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body. And be thankful. And so we're called to be clothed in tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forgiveness, love, and peace. And as we're called to be clothed in these things, as we're called to have these things be the uniform, the clothing that characterizes us as God's people, we're being called to clothe ourselves in the character of God himself. So we're called to be clothed in tender mercies. And you can stay in Colossians, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 
in verse 3, it tells us, Blessed be God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And so as we're being clothed in tender mercies, we're reflecting the character of God himself, who is the Father of mercies. And then as we are called to be clothed in kindness, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7, it says that in the ages to come, he, meaning God, might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so as we're being clothed in kindness, we're reflecting the kindness of God. Humility. Remember in John chapter 13 that Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, the Lord of glory, takes a towel and washes the dirty, filthy, stinking feet of his disciples. He humbles himself and serves them. Meekness, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And the word that's uh, translated gentle here, it's the same word that's translated meek in Colossians chapter three. Long suffering, Second Peter 3.15. Says, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. And so God is long-suffering toward us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Forgiveness we have right here in Colossians 3.13. It says, uh, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Love, 1 John chapter 4. And verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God. And God in him. Peace. Ephesians 2.14. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition. And so as we are called upon to clothe ourselves, we're not being called upon to clothe ourselves in some abstract virtues but we're being called to clothe ourselves with the very character of God. That is, we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the spirit of the living God dwells within us. 
And that new spirit that is within us is to flow out and show itself in the way we live, in the things we do, that people see God reflected in us because we are clothed in his character. Now, I'd like to zoom in on just four of these characteristics of God that are supposed to clothe us. Um, I'd like to zoom in on humility because it is often misunderstood. And I'd like to zoom in on forgiveness, love, and peace because the text here zooms in on those three. Humility was not a virtue in the world of Paul's day when he wrote this text. It was a characteristic that was associated with slaves and other despised social groups. It was considered something that any decent self-respecting person would not allow to characterize them, but only the weak and lowly. And so the original readers in Colossae, as they received this letter from Paul, might have been very surprised, depending on how long they had been followers of Jesus Christ and how well they had begun, become, begun to know the one that they were following. They might have been surprised to see this particular characteristic included in this list. And so I'm going to reread this verse and throw in some things that we may consider to be negative characteristics. Now, I'm just doing this so you can get a little feel for how the first readers might have felt as they read this. I'm not suggesting that we need to have these negative characteristics. Just, okay, there's the little footnote. But uh, it says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, sloppiness, meekness, and long-suffering. Or therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, crankiness, meekness, and long-suffering. Or therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, incompetence, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Or therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness. And what was my other one? Oh, yeah, stinginess, humility, or meekness, and long-suffering. And obviously, as we're reading through this, it's like, it sounds like one of these things is not like the others. And I'm not suggesting we should be sloppy, cranky, incompetent, or stingy. But I'm saying that humility is not necessarily recognized naturally as a virtue by fallen human beings. Jesus humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, and then submitted himself to the death of a criminal 
God has something to teach us about humility, but it's not going to come naturally for us. It can only come as a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Well, then in verse 13, we find forgiveness. I'm sorry, verse 14. No, verse 13, I am right. Here we go. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Now, the fact that Scripture is calling us to forgive one another implies that from time to time, there's going to be something to forgive. I wish I could tell you that if you become a member of First Baptist Church in Zealand, it'll be a perfectly wonderful experience and no one will ever do you wrong. But if I said that, I would be a liar. If you are a part of First Baptist Church in Zealand, sooner or later, someone in our church family is going to hurt you. And they may hurt you really badly. And when that time comes, you're going to be called upon to forgive. Now, quite often as we think about forgiveness, we think maybe forgiveness is trying to say that the bad thing that someone did to us wasn't so bad. But that's not what forgiveness is at all. Forgiveness doesn't require us to lie about the bad things that people do. When Jesus Christ forgave me, he didn't say, well, you know, those sins that Tom did, they're really not so bad. I think I can just look the other way and forgive him. Jesus Christ looked at my life and he said, you know, Tom is a creature and yet he has chosen to shake his fist in the face of his creator and do things that are absolutely horrible in my eyes. In fact, the things that Tom has done are so horrible that he fully and completely deserves to be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. But I love him so much that I'm going to take all of the punishment that Tom could endure throughout all of eternity in the lake of fire. And I'm going to bear that punishment on his behalf on the cross. And I'm going to forgive him. And so when someone else in the body of Jesus Christ does you dirt, you don't have to say, you know what John Doe did to me really wasn't that bad. You can be honest about it. You can say, you know what John Doe did to me was horrible. In fact, what John Doe did to me was so bad that 
he deserves to be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity because of it. But I recognize that the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross was sufficient to cover what John Doe has done. And so I am no longer going to seek payment for what John Doe has done because I'm going to recognize that payment as being made in Jesus Christ. And so the further interactions that I have with John Doe in relation to this wrongdoing are not going to be motivated by a desire to see John Doe get punished for what he's done. But my remaining interactions with John Doe are going to be based on a desire to see him reconciled and restored. And so I'm not just going to ignore it and allow him to continue to live in sin because I know that's not good for John Doe as well as all the rest of us who have to put up with him. I know that's not in his best interest. And so I'm going to intervene and I'm going to try to bring John Doe to repentance. But I'm not intervening because I want to punch him in the face or something like that. I'm intervening because I want him to be restored to the fellowship. And so as Jesus has worked to restore us to fellowship with God the Father, so he calls us to work with those who fall into sin among us and who do us wrong to try to reconcile them to fellowship. Well, the next thing he mentions in verse 14 is love. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And our culture tends to focus on love as if it is an emotion. And it is not. Love is a person, and it is based on commitment to that person. God himself is love, and we commit ourselves to love others because God, in the person of his Holy Spirit, lives inside of us with his love. And so I'm indebted to our former pastor, Mike Ferris, as he talked about love. He said, love is not an emotion. Love is a choice, a decision, an act of the will. To bring to bear all the resources God has given me to meet the needs of another without any expectation of anything in return. Love cannot be manufactured. It can only be received from God who is love as he lives his life through us. And then verse 15 talks about peace. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And peace is the wholeness of all that God created us to be. Peace is wholeness in our relationship with God. 
wholeness within ourselves and wholeness in our relationship with others. And all three aspects of this peace are reflected in verse 15. First, it's called the peace of God. It's the peace that comes from God. It is the peace that is with God. We are no longer at war with God because God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Second, this peace is to rule in our hearts. And so it is peace within. God works to restore that which is broken within us. And so we've lived lives in a fallen world and we have sinned and been sinned against and our lives are filled with turmoil as a result of sin and God begins a work of healing within our hearts, picking up the pieces and putting us back together because of who he is and what he's done. And then peace with each other. It says that we're called in one body. And so we seek peace with each other because we are one of Christ, one in Christ, one body in him, one with him. A key element of peace is thankfulness. So it says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. So thankfulness gives joy in God as we recognize the good things that he's done for us. And as we are recognizing the good things that God has done for us and we're rejoicing in them, then that helps to free us from turmoil in our hearts that if God be for us, who can be against us? And then as we are rejoicing in the goodness of God toward us, we tend to have harmony with each other because if God has been so good to me, then I can be good to my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And this uh, association between thankfulness and peace is also illustrated in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. And so, as human beings, we often struggle with anxiety. And the number one most important thing we can do to cope with anxiety is to recognize the good things that God has done for us and spend time thanking him for those good things. Because it's the heart of rejoicing toward God for what he's done for us that frees us from anxiety and brings us peace. Well, if that's all, not enough. Colossians 3 goes on to talk about singing and about the name of the Lord Jesus. 
In verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. God gave mankind the gift of music and he filled it with incredible power. God gave some of us more the gift of music than others. I'm one of the others. So I used to love to sing to my children when they were young. And they would say, Daddy, Daddy, please stop. But nonetheless, I love singing when I'm alone. And I love hearing God's truth expressed through music. Very grateful for all of you whom God has gifted in that way. Singing God's truth is one of the best ways to teach and correct and encourage each other as followers of Jesus Christ. And so it's no accident that as we gathered this morning, we spent a significant portion of our time together singing. And that singing wasn't just a prelude to the teaching and admonition that were coming later. That singing is an integral part of the teaching and admonition that takes place within our fellowship as a body of Jesus Christ. So I'd like to thank all of you and uh, our praise team in particular for your ministry this morning of teaching and admonishing as you were singing God's truth to each other. May God continue to minister his truth to us through song. And finally, verse 17 talks about the name of the Lord. It says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when we're talking about doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus, we're not simply talking about pronouncing the word Jesus. The name has to do with his authority and his character. It is shorthand for everything that he is. And so we act in the name of Jesus when based on his authority and in harmony with his character, we do what he's called us to do. 18 months ago, roughly, my Aunt Mary Lee passed away. And my Aunt Mary Lee had established a trust and she appointed me as her trustee. And so as Aunt Mary Lee's trustee, 
I didn't look at the resources that the trust had and say, I wonder what I want to do with all of this. But as Aunt Marilee's trustee, I took the trust document and I read the trust document carefully and then I implemented my Aunt Mary Lee's desires. I did what she wanted me to do because I was acting in her name. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And he's left us with the responsibility to act on his behalf. And he's given us a document that clearly outlines his wishes. And so we are acting in the name of Jesus when we don't just do whatever it is that we want to do, but we carefully examine the trust document and then we implement what he has desired for us to do. We have the privilege of representing him and acting on his behalf to do what he wants to be done. And so may we all be faithful trustees of the responsibilities that Jesus has committed to us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have not left us orphans. That you have not given us a long list of demands which we are powerless to obey. Lord, you've sent your Holy Spirit to live inside of us and give us new life. And Lord, we can look to you and rest in your life within us to do the things you want us to do. Lord, I pray that we would be clothed in your character, that you would shine out through us that you would be glorified through us. I ask in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616 772-4377.